0: All right, it's morning huddle time. Good to morning. No, I'm not saying it works. You saying it speed. I wish you Godspeed. Godspeed with all of that. I think that's really, really nice. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what kind of success you're going to have with that today because the world, my friend,
1: has changed. Right. right. Latin American construction workers, they have different needs. They have completely different needs. These awards have a huge.
2: Um, like criteria that you have to fill out, and they usually have a community service or community relations portion. Makes them, uh, you know, the most productive uh, with a high performance value. Um, and you know, sometimes it's 11 o'clock at night.
0: Yeah. Funny. Isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, not not for me.
2: Not for uh,
0: me. At 11 o'clock, I am guaranteed to be snoring. So, so. Um, <laughs> Good morning. It is morning huddle time. We have Trey Farmer with us, and of course, Stacy, uh, my co-host. Stacy, how are you today?
2: I'm a little depressed about the Eagles, you know, lost, but I will recover. <laughs> I am
0: depressed for you. I know, I know how it feels uh, to to have your team uh, lose at the, in the championship game. Better than thirty other teams in the NFL, but not better than the one. Uh, that was tough, man. That was. Tough. <laughs> I, how about the holding call? Was it a call? Was it a hold, or was it not a hold?
2: I don't know. The player just, said
0: it was a hold. He <laughs> called himself out. He goes, "It was. It was a hold." <laughs> he said
2: it was. A hold. It was I,
0: I didn't think it was a hold when it happened, but I respected the player afterwards in the locker room, saying like, "No, no, no. I, I held him. I grabbed his jersey. <laughs> That's what <laughs> happened. So it was cool." uh but you know yeah it's a that's a tough one i'm on this group text with a group of uh friends all from philadelphia and yesterday it was like total crickets until about noon and one guy just texted and it, i'm talking like 15 people and and one guy just texted i'm so depressed <laughs> and then another that's guy insane. just texted like no motivation at all today you know kind of thing and it is it's 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 tough you know it's hard to Hey, next year. There's always next year. Right? It's hard to rally it up. Yeah. Trey, are, are, are you a football fan? Do you have, do you have a team?
1: I uh, I am a uh, Patriots fan. So, you know, we've... Uh... Just many years of relentless celebration
0: yeah, followed by you... the inevitable, like, being okay as opposed yeah, to... Yeah.
1: Well, it's, you know, like being from New England, right? It's like we were kind of on the other side of it with the Yankees for so long. That then you know it was kind of it was good, but you could also empathize with the the haters. So (laughs) totally, yeah, totally. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know what it feels
0: like to to feel like that 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 there's a team that just has an unfair advantage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, cool. Uh, So so Trey joins us from um, Forgecraft Architecture in Texas, in Austin, Texas. I've had the um, good fortune of having uh, some exposure to their work in my work in Texas. And, um, I, I haven't worked with Trey directly, but I was talking to one of his colleagues about interesting topics and he said, you know, what would be an interesting st- topic is passive, uh, uh, house design. And I said, well, I don't know what that is. So you're going to have to tell me, uh, whether that's interesting or not. And, and it turns out that Trey not only is passive house certified and we'll get into what, what all that means, but also actually lives in a certified passive house himself and, uh, can actually speak to it, not just as a design professional, but can speak to it as uh, as, as a homeowner. And so, um, uh, Stacy asked this question right out of the gate, right? Like, is this only for houses? So, um, you know, we're going to get into that and many more questions. Stacy, uh, I'm I'm uh, confident that the audience uh, through the course of our conversation will have uh, some interesting questions that pop up. Uh, as you always do, um, I'll, I'll leave you to stoke the interesting discussion and we'll bring you back here to get some, uh, um, you know, audience questions before we wrap up.
2: All right. Sounds good.
0: Thanks, Stacey. All right. So, so let's, let's start from scratch. Assume uh, our audience knows as much as I knew, which is absolutely nothing uh, whenever we first <laughs> talked. Um, uh, what is Passive House Design? Just this, a simple description.
1: Yeah, it is. So it's a third party certification and it's an above code building code, basically, okay. um, that's looking primarily at energy use. Um, so it's, it's basically the most aggressive uh, above code building certification. So it's uh, Passive House Institute US is partnered with the US Department of Energy. So there's sort of like Energy Star, Zero Energy Ready Home, Net Zero, and then Passive House is kind of the highest tier of Ah. energy efficiency. And so it uh depending on your climate, it'll drop your um energy bills by, you know, 40 to 80 percent. Um so so the analogy we use a lot is a yeti Yeti cooler. You know, if you think about like those old old school coolers versus a Yeti cooler, it's like more insulation. The main thing though is that it's airtight. Like that airtightness really holds the energy really well. So you get a better building it's more resilient when the power goes out it'll hold your your heat in the winter hold your cool uh in the summer and then also you're controlling where all of your fresh air is coming from in your house so there's no leaks or nooks and crannies no air sneaking in through through the the holes in the wall where the cockroaches live it's all getting filtered through a port um and, and mechanically brought in so there's all these knock-on benefits for health and and uh You know, no dust, no pests, um, all that sort of stuff. Really quiet. You know, we live pretty close to a highway. And before we renovated, we could hear cars going over the expansion joints. We could hear trains whenever they went by. And now nothing, um, which is really, really great. It is great.
0: That's uh, I live. I live relatively close to a, a main road as well. And I'm I, I was uh, r- k- right after our conversation last week. I started like googling how do I go through a passive house uh, <laughs> renovation because just for the sound benefits. I was like hey, did, you know, n- nice to save money uh, too. But so so um, okay. I've got. Uh, I'll start. I'm gonna I'm gonna set yeah. you up with two questions relatively quickly because um, um, I can't decide which one I want to know first. One is, um, what is the, I guess the, what are the differences between net zero and passive house and like, how, how, what are some things that make passive house design the most aggressive? What are the things that make it sort of, you know, uh, unique? And then, and then the second question right on the back of that is talk about, uh, you know, just your application. Where you are in the world, and and you know what the, the uh, renovation actually consisted of, and then um, I'll, I'll take exhaustive notes
1: and try to figure out a budget. Uh. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. So so that you can have a net zero passive house. They're kind of you know net zero is like you use about the same amount of energy over the course of a year as you uh, produce. You know, usually with PV um, on a on a single family home anyway. Um, and so Passive House is probably the best way to get there. So, so the idea is you're pulling some of that money out of your PV or, or out of your utility bill and putting it into your mechanical system and your envelope. Sorry. So like more insulation, better windows, more durable uh, weather barrier. You know, air tightness is probably the biggest um, biggest lift, I guess, uh, at least in our climate. Um, and so the whole thing is cost optimized, right? So it's like we don't want to throw so much insulation at your walls that you're getting these diminishing returns and just burning money, right? And also, you know, from an environmental standpoint, you know, there's embodied energy in insulation. And so we don't want to be trying to reduce our operational carbon, right? The amount of, you know, fossil fuels getting burned to heat and cool your house by putting too much into your walls. It's all about kind of finding the sweet spot and trying to to make a more sustainable house that's also healthier um, and last, you know, does better in, in outages. Um, so, so like for our house, right, we're, we're in Austin. So it's relatively mild climate, you know, compared to, uh, the coasts and, uh, New England. Um, so what that looked like for us, our walls are about double code. Our, our code minimum wall is an R13 wall. So that's a two by four with fiberglass bats here. So we have two by six walls and then we ha- use the zip R6, uh, which is um, so zip sheathing uh, is pretty ubiquitous down here. It's like the sheathing with an integrated weather barrier, the green sheathing you see around a lot. Yep. And so they make a version of that that has polyiso on the back side of it, and you can get that in various thicknesses. So you get your continuous insulation, but you only have to make one trip around the building. Um, so, so we did that because it-, it was like a little easier and and more normal, you know, down here. So this is. I'm, I'm going to pause here just for a second as I wrap my head around yeah. here.
0: the. Uh, so, so this is an existing structure. It mm-hmm. sounds like you're you're you know uh, pulling off the the skin of the building uh, to to you know so that that it basically it gets stripped down on both sides because you also have to go from two by four to two by six. When you go to two by six, do you just fur out a a, a two by four wall, or do you literally you know replace all your studs?
1: we so our house was 105 years old when we renovated it and uh we were intending to keep the two by four studs and do more do a thicker zip system um you know thicker continuous insulation okay got
0: it so you would have just done it on the outside
1: yeah and and got we it. looked at doing it on the inside and it was just you know very expensive um I can imagine. and then but our, our wall it was like there were no jack studs. We had no headers. It was all balloon frame down below the floor. The floor was an inch and a half out of level. So we ended up redoing most of the framing. Like there's very little, it's a renovation, but there's very little of the existing uh, wood that was in the house. You know, we thought we were going to be able to keep a lot more of it than we could. It's kind of like peeling away the onion and it's every layer you get to is rotten. Um, So, so we were lucky enough to be able to switch to two by six walls Which is like you know gives us a little bit stouter frame. Sure. We didn't mind losing the we didn't mind losing the two inches of the interior you know footprint. Um, and then we were able to back off of that continuous insulation a little bit, which also you know kind of saved us some money in our window detailing as well.
0: Okay, got it. So so we've got the insulation now. Go to the windows. What did you do window wise?
1: So we used Marvin uh, windows, and uh, they're triple pane. Uh, and we used a mix of, so we were like the first shipment of Marvin Modern, which is this line that they put out a couple of years ago that are very like sleek looking, um, high performing windows. And then we used some of their Fibrex windows, which is um, the ultimate. And then we used their um, like wood clad windows because it's a historic preservation. So we tried to match the <clears throat> kind of historic facade with new triple pane casement windows, but they have a sort of a check rail in them. So they look like double hung windows from the outside. Um, We're in a protected historic neighborhood. Got it. Um, So we wanted to kind of, so we, you know, redid the detailing, redid the brackets and the roof detailing and used um, siding that matched the profile and window casing and trim that match what was there before. But now they're new triple pane windows that look kind of like double hung unless you come up really close to them and inspect them. Awesome.
0: Awesome. All right, cool. Anything else that you did to, to uh, finish yours?
1: Um, I'd say, so then, yeah, so air tightness is a bit, you know, going from here, code air tightness is five air changes per hour, right? So that's the, sort of the leakiness of your building. Um, and we had to be at 0.5, so 10x code, um, which is quite tight. Um, and so when you get to that level of air tightness, then your mechanical system, you know, we're, we have a ventilator, so we're constantly bringing fresh air in with an ERV, which is um, basically a box that allows you to constantly bring fresh air in without paying the energy penalty. So it's like yeah. pushing pushing stale air out and the the heat and moisture energy kind of come to equilibrium in that box. Um, so you're not basically so it's, you're not paying the same energy penalty if you're just like open a window for all day long.
0: All all in, if can I ask, roughly budget wise, what this you know, square footage yeah. you're home and, and roughly what it costs.
1: So our house is um, 2100 square feet and then I'm in a loft right now. So one of the things that's kind of cool is we moved the insulation from the ceiling up to the roof and we got a nice little bonus space. It's my office now, but we also were able to carve into that like in the kitchen, We can post some photos later, have this big like sort of splayed light well, and then our bathrooms have some skylights. Um, So you kind of steal back some of that space, which was just kind of dumb hot space with our AC in it. It's kind of crazy that we, run our air conditioner through, you know, the hot, it's, it's a space that's it's it's even, ho- even hotter than outside, you know? Um. So, uh, so yeah, as far as price, you know, I think a typical, you know, like this was a custom home, right? So it's not, not the cheapest home you could possibly build. Um, It wasn't, you know, ultra luxury either, but we were able, we'd say probably like 5%, Um, you know, somewhere in that like five to 8% range. Also, like we were learning a lot. Um, we hustled a lot of materials from friends. So, it, you know, I think 5% is, is a good target. Um, and what we're seeing in multifamily is you can actually get down to cost parity with this. Really? Uh, with, with Passive House. Because, you know, as you think about like multifamily building, a unit only, you know, might only have insulation on two sides, right? You know, on the exterior walls, but then it's got all these shared walls. Um, and then there's just economy of scale, you know, in a, you're, you're repeating everything so many times. Um, so, so yeah. And then as, as the markets mature, you know, we see a lot more passive house in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, and then sort of like New York, Chicago, Philly are um, definitely like ahead of the adoption curve. We're still kind of new at it down here. So we're still learning our trades are still learning. We're still getting our supply chains up and running, but what we've seen in those other markets is that the costs come down pretty quickly when uh, people start doing it all over the place
0: so now we're getting we're getting to that question which is you know it's obviously not only for single-family homes uh talk about some applications where where this is you know currently working in the united states and elsewhere
1: yeah um so there we were, we we're talking uh before we jumped on the first uh passive house certified hospital just finished its certification in frankfurt germany so i think that's about a 30 million uh, euro project Pretty cool, though, you know, like it's a, a big benefit of this is the healthy air and the and the comfort. And so having a hospital is like probably the first place you'd think of. As well. um, there's New York. There's some, you know, 40, 50 story uh, condo and apartment buildings going up that are Passive House certified. There's schools, museums. You know, it's really all it runs the gamut. Um, you know, single family homes. It kind of started with single family homes and then affordable housing um and, and really like Europe Pacific Northwest and and the northeast are, are where things are, have taken off over the last 10 15 years but, but that's awesome yeah. to hear
0: that there are so many applications and i and i particularly like as you, as i think about comfort and um, you know you think about uh, you know he- health there's the to me a really natural and relatively hot relatively you know uh hot market in the u.s right now is senior
1: living are are, our senior living
0: projects looking at this
1: i would think so um we we do a lot of um like affordable and workforce housing we did one senior living project maybe like five or six years ago but it's not something that we're our firm is focused on i would be pretty surprised if there wasn't senior living looking at it. I know of a couple of projects like in Maine and Massachusetts that are doing it. Um, but yeah, totally makes makes a lot of sense. Senior living, anything that's um, and especially with like legacy owners, you know, where if you've got like a senior living facility that's going to be owning it for 10 years, then you know, you're going to pay back the first cost. And then after that, it's all just gravy. You know, you're getting all of the health benefits and durability benefits and significantly reduced utility bills.
0: Yeah, see it does seem a no brainer, particularly if you're getting close to cost parity, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in you know in the construction phase. That that's usually the the thing that causes everybody you know
1: all the deals to
0: break down this way. Is like ah well, be nice to do. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know? yeah exactly, exactly. And we you know that's we work with a lot of like supportive housing providers, and so they're going to own the project for you know fifty or hundred years. So it's like why not get out in front of it and. Um, you know, and, and it's also, it's starting to become code. A lot of uh, areas are setting it up as a reach code. Massachusetts ha- just set it up as a reach code for multifamily where cities and municipalities can opt into it. And so I think there's five or six um, municipalities in Massachusetts that are going to start requiring it for anything over six units, um, which is pretty exciting. So then that'll help that cost curve come down too. Yeah. It does. I mean, it, 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 there's
0: always the initial pushback and frustration, and you know, I'm sure mm-hmm. plenty of contractors and plenty of developers are, you know, uh, yeah, will be throwing their hands up. But but as you, if if it really um, fundamentally does, uh, you know, bring the cost curve, you know, if, if if the cost is close, yeah, unless you're literally building to sell, you're right. gonna you're gonna benefit from it if you're the owner.
1: Right. And and then, you know, and then there's, you know, code is there also to help the end user and, and protect people and things like that. So it's, I mean, the ROI question is like, it makes sense, right? As like a, as a first thing to think about, but it's, it really is, you know, it's just the first cost of the building. And what about the overall cost of the building over right. the 50 or hundred years is going to be in use. And then that's not even considering like the health costs of, you know, childhood asthma and things like that you know yeah
0: if we're gonna put dollars on something like that
1: right exactly right which does have a financial aspect but it's it's also bigger
0: than that what would you pay to keep your kids safe you know healthy
1: yeah yeah exactly what's the what's the return on investment on granite countertops
0: versus your kids (laughs) i i I have a formula i'll run past you on (laughs) perfect we'll we'll figure it out we got (laughs) (laughs) um So, so uh, how do contractors react to this type of building standard and, and how to, you know, how does this actually impact the majority of our audience are contractors, general contractors, specialty contractors, how do they react to this type of standard and, and, you know, uh, how can they help or hurt?
1: Yeah. I think it runs the gamut, you know, like some contractors are really excited about this and and jump at the chance to get involved um you know like early adopters or uh people really trying to like push the boundaries of what they're doing and then some you know we get we get a lot of groaning as well um so you know it kind of similar to to how our firm had worked with you on these projects in houston was like we want to create a a, like a team that's collaborating around the project. So like everybody's involved, it, you know, if it, if it becomes an antagonistic thing where it's like, we're forcing this down the contractor's throat, then that's not going to work, right? It's not going to be a successful thing. We all need to be on the same page about it. We all need to want to be doing it for the same reasons. Um, and so sometimes that means educating contractors. Sometimes that means incentivizing the contractor. Sometimes that means working with a different contractor. You know, really um, we want to, we want to work with contractors who want to work on the project and, and are excited about this kind of like, you know, pushing things forward or, or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Right. And, and I, and I, you know, as I think about it's, it's this case for, for all, I don't care what, what standard we're building to or what code we're building to uh, it's always the case that, that your, your specialty contractors need to become, uh, good partners for each other out in the field, thinking mm-hmm. about the guy that comes before them and the guy that comes after them and yeah. taking care of each other through the course of it. But when, when you're building to this type of standard, especially when it's new, um, what are the things that, that contractors would do that, you know, maybe it's cutting corners, but like, how, how does a contractor un- accidentally or maybe not so accidentally undermine, um, you know, hitting this type of standard?
1: Yeah, I mean, airtightness is really the tricky one, especially in in our market where like our existing codes are pretty loose. And so it's not really, there's not a lot of, um, you know, buffers. Like there, there aren't uh, requirements around around uh, airtightness testing necessarily that are getting followed. Um, and then just the, the code minimum is pretty loose. Mm-hmm. You know, adding more insulation, that's in your spec. That's very easy to price, right? It's easy to detail. That's kind of... Know no biggie the mechanical system, same thing, right? Like it might cost a little bit more, but the mechanical engineer is kind of dealing with the design and the installer is able to, you know, handle the install and and execute. Air tightness is tricky because it's like there's so many trades, right? You've got your electrician, your plumber, your HVAC guy, um, you know, random, you know, sub subs who are coming out, and so it's like you've got to that. And that's where it really is on the contractor and where it's tricky and where I have a lot of empathy for the GC because this is a thing where they're, they're already having to, you know, kind of babysit a lot. Right. And like, you know, keep an eye on everybody and make sure everything's happening the way it should be and the way it's drawn and and working well. And now they also have to make sure that nobody's poking any holes in the building without air sealing it or that they're, you know, it's like when you're running electrical conduit, um, you know, it's one hole one thing right with with air sealing because if you if you bundle all your your conduit put it through one big hole it's really hard to air seal that but if you just poke one wire through you can seal it really well so it's just like some different ways of thinking about stuff some different ways of training it's it's really about communication at, at the, the fundamental level like it, like the the doing is not too tricky it's the communicating and making sure everybody's on the same page and everybody understands why we're doing this
0: yeah as a designer on the project, are you actually out there doing any training, uh, you know, helping or are you training the GC how to train or how does that work?
1: Yeah, we we do, uh, especially on like the single family stuff. We're a little more involved, um, yeah. you know, on the ground, like with our house. I mean, part like as, as our house too, but we really wanted it to be a um, kind of like open source case study, right? Like we were had the opportunity to do this thing that was a little new. We were working with a builder who was a friend and who was really into it. Um, And so we hosted, I don't know, probably like 15 sort of open houses where we had Huber come and do a zip install, showing how to air seal and detail around windows. We had Marvin do an install. We did a bunch of blower door tests. We rented a fog machine from Rock and Roll Rentals and filled the house up with smoke and then positively pressurized it so you could see where all the air leakage was because there was smoke pouring out. Oh, that's fascinating. It was really fun, and just like bought a lot of beer and barbecue, and, and invited everybody <laughs> we knew over to see it. Um, yeah. so so you know, trying to like show that it wasn't, it's not too too weird or too crazy. Um, but yeah, again, like a lot of collaboration with our builder and with our with our trades, which was really it's really fun, you know. As as long as everybody is like into it and on the same page, it's like it's super rewarding. I you know for me because I learned a ton from the the trades and our GC about like how the things are actually getting installed, the sequencing, and that helps me be a better designer. Um, and then that all kind of comes full circle. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I, I think
0: so So, um, brought in Stacey. I know we have uh, some some questions uh, that we want to get to, uh, but I just want to say before we do that, that I, I think you've done a really great job of taking this thing that, like a lot of these things, Trey, it's like, you um, it's new. It feels a little green or, or annoying to some people, right? Like, you know, like if you're not on the, if you're not like thinking sustainably, it can sound just sort of like a oh God, you know, like we're doing more. Yeah. Uh, but I think you've done a really nice job of uh, making it easy to understand. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, like, you know, making it not weird or scary you know like it's this is not that strange it's there are just a handful of things that we're doing here to focus on i love the yeti cooler analogy Mm -hmm. um air tightness and recognizing that if we can focus on that we can dramatically reduce our our energy consumption which Mm -hmm. has just that who doesn't win uh aside from utility companies
1: when we do that you know that's that's a. You know, they, totally they win awesome. too, though, because it's then the house kind of acts as a battery. And so they're not their peak. You know, it's right. really expensive for them to have this like really variable load. And so we can kind of squish those peaks with more of these buildings because you can pre-cool them or preheat them. And then at those times when they'd have to great the point the plants that are super expensive. So we see a lot of utilities buying in or, or some utilities, some utilities that are a little more uh forward thinking than others but but yeah we we love it and and so we're our firm is now only doing passive houses for custom homes and we're using it as kind of a sandbox like those have a little bit more customization and wiggle room but we can learn a lot from them and then we can track those those lessons learned up to our multifamily and commercial projects and see okay we know we can do this easily we know it's not going to cost a lot let's track that up and start getting contractor buy-in on the bigger stuff
0: I can't I can't wait to start seeing it on some of the bigger stuff that I'm involved in. And, and uh, you know, uh, got, if, if anybody's watching, thinking about, um, you know, a strong multifamily quality uh, architect, that's the space that that I've, I've worked with these guys. I have never personally experienced a more per, uh, participatory and um, you know, stronger partnering mindset. From a, from an architect, just really going out of their way to make it easy for for construction to occur, and um, you know, communicating uh, openly and often. So uh, they're they're a great pick if anybody's looking for one. So, uh, Stacy, um, uh, what do we have for questions? I want to try to uh, get at least a couple
2: in here before we um, before we wrap up. Sure, Dennis has a great question. Um, how does the design work with the new COVID air requirements? Most builds are going to more air movement and air changes.
1: Yeah, and, and Chad, thank you so much. I was getting goosebumps there. You know, we really, we really strive for that, and and try to, and we've loved working with you and your team, and and that the whole idea of, uh, you know, like a high trust relationship, and and everybody being in it for the project has really changed how we think about it. So, just, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, That's great, great to hear. Appreciate your work. Um, yeah, so uh, it's it's uh, essentially mm-hmm. like it's perfect with COVID requirements because we know how much we're ventilating. You know, most homes uh, don't actually bring in fresh air. They're just the analogy I've heard is kind of when you flush a toilet and the water just swirls around, right? So so we're actually bringing in fresh air twenty four seven, meeting all our ASHRAE sixty requirements, filtering all that air with high, we have a MERV-16 filter box and then MERV-13 filters on our dehumidifier and our ERV. Um, so you're catching all those virus particulate um, and controlling your fresh air. So your CO2 stays down, you're, you're breathing well, you're sleeping well. Um, so it, it really pairs well with all the COVID error requirements. Awesome.
2: Thank you. So what is uh, source zero? How can you explain that?
1: So, source zero is kind of an add-on to the Passive House certification. Where so we're doing a, an energy model, um, like a three D, you know, pretty robust energy model that FIAS, um, the Passive House Institute US, is vetting through many rounds of review. Um, and within that energy model, if you have more production than use, then you you know, and then you execute that in the actual project, then you get this source zero tag. So it's basically saying that the project Um, and so that's, sorry, it produces as much as your house. And then there's a, essentially depending on your utility, there's a metric for like how much transmission loss you're getting. So that's why it's source zero instead of site zero. That makes sense.
0: Got it. Got it. I think, you know, um, I'm glad that there are people, uh, like you and, and obviously I'm sure lots of colleagues, uh, out there who are you know, really working to take these, you know, high-minded concepts about reducing our carbon footprint and creating more sustainability and, um, you know, uh, reducing overall energy consumption and really turning them into practical application and asking yourself, how do we get it to actually happen? And Mm -hmm. uh, and I love hearing that as a firm, you're only doing this type of, uh, design. And, and, you know, that's, um, that's awesome. I mean, that's, you know, with single family, I heard that part of it too, mm-hmm. but with single family, this is the only type of, uh, you know, custom single family that, uh, design that you're doing. And, um, I, I think, you know, that's how you know that there is momentum behind a thing and that the thing isn't so pie sky, um, you know, cost prohibitive, painful, That it will never get legs. So I'm sure there are hurdles. I'm sure there are going to be still projects for which this doesn't make sense, and where you know people push pause and say, "Yeah, we're we're not going to be shooting for passive house uh, certification here. It just doesn't make sense for." But um, if overall it moves the if it moves the needle Mm -hmm. in the right direction, I think that's um you know that's a win for again it's a win for everybody.
1: It's For us, it was like, you know, we did a a handful of them and and having lived in one and then Scott uh, Ginder, one of the founders of our firm, lives in a a very close to Passive House home that he built for his family. And it was just like, okay, this is there's no other way to do this. It's just got to be our best practice. And so if we just plant a flag, then we're, you know, we're hoping that people people will come to us who want to do this. and, And really, you know, it's like energy we kind of came at it from the energy efficiency and the sustainability side but after having lived in them and feeling like the health benefits and the comfort benefits like that's really where it's at you know i think we do it for these reasons regardless of the other stuff yeah
0: yeah no that and that was that's exactly what i said you know it's like to everybody's benefit probably most of all to the occupants of the space which is um, mm-hmm. that's how, you know, it's, it's a really, you know, it's, it's not just to meet some, some code requirement, you know, goal there's, it's just fundamentally better. So, um, it's great stuff. Uh, last question. Do you, do you, uh, where, where will you take on projects? Are you only designing in, in, um, uh, Texas?
1: No, we do. Um, we do work all over the country. Um, we're yeah. primarily in Texas, Austin, Houston, Dallas, um, San Antonio, but we have done projects in California, and Pennsylvania, Colorado, um, New England. Um, so we'll 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 go anywhere. We love it. I mean, it's all it's a new challenge everywhere. Working in new climate, new new space, um, and that's that's the fun thing for us. Um, and then I just I saw the tax credit question in the chat. So the um, with the Inflation Reduction Act, you get tax credits now for um, Energy Star and Zero Energy Ready Home. So it's uh, you know, the Zero Energy Ready Home is a higher tier. So if you certify with Passive House Institute US, that's safe harbor for both of those. So you automatically get Zero Energy Ready Home, EPA, Indoor Air Quality Plus, and Water Sense certifications when you certify with V.S. Nice. So you are you can get those tax credits, which can really add up, especially in a multifamily or a common lot, right? Like $5,000 a unit can can add up. That adds up fast, <clears throat> no doubt. That's, uh, that's great to know.
0: Very cool. All right, good. Stacy, anything else on your mind?
2: I was just curious. Um, do you have any videos you could share? I'd love to in- include like a visual for our follow up email to our viewers.
1: Sure. Yeah, we can. I'm sure we can dig something up.
2: All right. Awesome.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. S- send Thank it, you guys.
0: Uh, Maybe maybe post it in the chat here, even and and uh, you know send it to Stacy that way. You know, regardless whether you're so, but you know what though? Darn it, people need to be on our mailing list. Um, so so uh, please email us to be added to our weekly mailing list. Uh, email Stacy H at steeltoe.com.com and we'll get the that stuff over to you. Um, uh, the tray shares.
1: Awesome. Yeah, we did um, a few videos with the build show during construction that I can share. It was pretty fun. Awesome. Nice. All right, cool. Uh, any parting comments, Trey, before we wrap it up? No, just uh, thank you guys for for doing this and for having these conversations. I've really enjoyed getting into your podcast over the last couple months. And uh, also, you know, big shout out to Chad. If anyone's doing a multifamily project, uh, bring him in on the team. He's been a huge asset to us. Uh, they are not my customer, and I'm not paying Trey. It's
0: I don't know. I don't know what else <laughs> they, I I, the, I was brought in by the developer, and you know I've been pretty hard on their guys. But they're, they're I mean, really, i am hard on everybody on the project. But but the project is is uh, this team is. Um, that we're working on together is really, really uh, clicking. And, uh, and it's, it's uh, anyway, lots of, thank you. I appreciate right. the, I, clearly I don't know how to take a compliment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, uh, Trey, we'll, we'll uh, have to catch up again soon. I'll uh, I'll be, I'll be in touch next time I run down to Austin way.
1: Great. appreciate it. It'll be fun. Take care. Thank thank you.
0: You. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Stacey, let's um let's do a little housekeeping and talk about uh, next week. So, Next week, same time, same channel for episode number 41 with uh, Tim Klimchak. Tim is a, uh, I don't know, maybe 25-year or 30-year uh, accountant. He was a partner at an accounting firm uh, for many of those years. Fantastic uh, book of business, all serving the AEC community. And he recently left and started a really his own little consulting gig uh, helping to um, work, you know, just on the consulting end of getting uh, contracting companies, financial uh, houses in order, which has been. Uh, I work with Tim on some of my client engagements. He's doing an awesome job, and I really wanted to pull uh, him into this uh, discussion. He's going to talk about the type of relationship that contractors should strive to have with their accounting firms, and I think there's um, there's an opportunity in there to for for business owners. For CFOs and uh, controllers, as well as our, our, you know, obviously anybody else in our regular audience uh, to learn. But this might be one where you where you drag somebody uh, in the CFO suite uh, or or you know the controller suite into this show and have them listen in because uh, you know Tim built a, a, an amazing book of business, really based on the principles he's going to share with us, which is going to be cool. So uh, so there's that uh, for next week. Obviously. We're always asking you to join our mailing list and uh, and be sure to uh, catch us on all of our platforms, uh, obviously live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, but then be sure to check out our recorded shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube uh, every week. We get those uploaded right away. So if you miss the show, you will catch it later on same day. Uh, Stacy, anything else that I'm forgetting from a housekeeping standpoint?
2: Um, I don't know if we can announce it yet, but we will be attending one a conference soon live. Um, so maybe next week we can see if we can get permission for that announcement. I I'll be think we'll,
0: yeah okay we'll wait till next week we'll wait till next week but yeah we are gonna do our first road show uh, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, live at a conference this May. Uh, in the DC area, and uh, we look forward to that experience and getting it under our belt, and then maybe kind of making a thing of it, doing it uh, on a, on a regular basis, and uh, checking out where some of the coolest conversations are happening in the industry, and and going and joining those conferences for a live show. So I look forward to that. That's a great point, Stacy, and and uh, we'll we'll have more to share as those details become uh, formal. So awesome. Uh, anything else?
2: That's it. Have a great day.
0: Have a great day. We'll talk to everybody soon. Uh, Please tune in next week.
2: See ya.